You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. I once heard a pastor say one of the most amazing things about Jesus is that he rarely spent time with religious people. Although Jesus was a righteous person, completely righteous, he always tried to get in front of unrighteous people. And the amazing thing about that is that these unrighteous people looked at Jesus and they liked him. And when they looked into his eyes, they knew that he saw them for who they were and they knew that he liked them. And when Jesus showed up in the first century, ungodly people flocked to hear Jesus. They weren't intimidated by him. I mean, more than likely, if it was you and me and you were going in the first century to see Jesus, more likely you would think, oh, I wonder if Jesus knows all about me. I wonder if he knew what I did last weekend. I wonder if he knew about my spring break down at the Sea of Galilee. I wonder if he knew what's really going on in my life or in my thinking or in my heart. And yet, nevertheless, the fact remained that people who were nothing like Jesus came out from all over the region to hear him, and they loved him. Pastor Andy Stanley says this, any organization, any business, any movement must answer the tension between reaching non-customers and merely keeping up with the status quo. And the local church is supposed to be the eyes and the hands and the ears and the feet of Jesus in our culture, but for some reason, we drift from having the same effect on people that Jesus did. And I want you to know today that you and I, even as believers, as individuals, we don't have to keep drifting. That God often likes to come along to people like you and me and help us course correct, help us get back on mission with what he wants to do. And I love how Andy Stanley handles the passage that we're looking at today in the life of Zacchaeus. And I love some of the questions that he asks that I'll be using a little bit along the way here in our outline. And the questions is, why was Jesus so attractive to people who were nothing like him? He was super attracted to them. And the answer to that question will do more to determine the future and the effectiveness of your friendships and your connectedness than almost anything else, right? Because any business has to ask, are we just trying to up our customer service to keep our existing customers? Or are we also looking for other lines of revenue to come in through new customers? And if you don't handle the tension, you're either going to die with the customers you have, or you're going to reach out and ignore the customers you have and lose them. But if you manage the tension between the two, you're going to have great customer service, and you're going to be looking for new avenues and new customers out there. The same thing is true of those who exist as a church, but the the nature of saved people is that the longer they've been saved, the more they kind of hang around other saved people. And in doing so, very subtly, you and I could have the possibility of getting off mission from being like Jesus, from being the kind of people who non-Christian people would love to be around and the kind of people who God would speak in and through us to reveal Jesus to them. Here's a question on your outline. You might want to write this down. Are we focused on reaching people more than simply keeping people? Are we focused on reaching people or keeping people? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, or maybe you think you used to be, or you're trying to figure Jesus out, or you had a bad experience with a church, you had a bad experience with church people, and you're here today, I want you to know that you are God's focus. I think if you were to look into Jesus, you would find out that you like him, and if he walked in here today and he looked in your eyes, you would like him, and you would find out very quickly he loves you. 
I think you would say I'm somehow drawn to him and I'm loved by him even though he sees fully who I am. How do we know? Because we've got to look and see how people reacted to Jesus in the first century. And in the first century, there, were, there was a distinction among people. Among people, you had people who were like, I, I know that I have sin in my life, um, but at least I can look and always identify somebody who's worse. And even that person who said, well, you've identified me as being the person that's worse, I can always look at somebody who's even worse than me. And they would look and they would point all the way down the line, the end of the line, the worst of the worst would be the tax collectors. Turn to your neighbor and say, tax collectors. Say it very judgmentally. You might point a finger. Yes, tax collectors. And they were the worst. Because even if you were a horrible sinner as a Jewish person, you at least could always point your finger and say, at least I'm not like the tax collectors. Why? Why were the tax collectors so bad? The tax collectors were Jewish people who had betrayed their own country and were collecting taxes on behalf of Rome. It would be like the, the people in Poland who were Jewish people and they had turned their back on the rest of their Jewish people, but they started working as local policemen for the Nazis. I mean, it's that kind of situation was happening thousands of years earlier in the first century in which Jesus is walking around and the tax collectors were those kind of people. They had rejected the community of the people around them and they were gathering taxes. And here's how it would work. They would not only gather taxes for Rome, but Rome would say, listen, you need to bring in this much tax from your people. Now, we don't care if you pad your pockets with a little more. You determine your own salary, but this is at least what you need to return to us. And by the way, here's a couple Roman soldiers to come along to break kneecaps if people don't want to pay their taxes. So you can imagine as a Jewish person, you're paying your temple tax, you're paying your tithe, and then beyond that, you're paying taxes to Rome. So you're paying, in a sense, a tax to Israel, but you also got to pay taxes to Rome. And it's brutal. And here comes a Jewish person knocking on your door who should be your brother. And instead, they're saying, I got to collect this much tax from you. And by the way, I'm going to embezzle a little bit from you so that my pockets get padded. And this is what tax collectors did. And they were rejected by their people. And above all those tax collectors would be a chief tax collector. And it was a classic government pyramid scheme. He would take his cut from all the embezzlement that had happened all the way up the pyramid, and he would be the chief tax collector. So not only did you have tax collectors you hated, but you definitely hated, most of all, the chief tax collector. If you wanted to affect change in a village, change in a city, it would have to start with that guy. But if a person wanted to become wealthy, no one wanted to be that guy more than the person who wanted to reject their community and become wealthy, a chief tax collector. Well, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and now he's going to travel down out of the mountains, kind of out of Tahoe, and he's going down into the desert land, down below sea level, down to a town called Jericho. Jericho would be like a modern-day uh, Palm Springs, where you kind of go out of the mountains, you go down into the valley, or it'd be like a Vegas. You get out of the mountains, you go out into the Vegas kind of area, and in that desert lived a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax-gathering supervisor. This guy was the chief tax collector. And he's a man who would have driven a full-size, massively lifted truck with big old tires on it because he was a little man. He didn't actually have a truck because they weren't invented then, but had they been invented, he would be driving that truck because he was a little man who thought that his wealth made him a big man. And he hears that Jesus is coming to town. And so he, if we open our Bibles, we begin to look at Jesus's 
account in Luke chapter 19 as Luke writes the account of this very real situation. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I must stay there. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something that makes you vulnerable when you climb up in a tree. I used to play Nerf Wars with my kids all the time. And let me tell you, when you're playing Nerf Wars, you actually want the high ground right? You want the high ground, Anakin. You want that up there. Like, don't, if you're on the low ground, don't come attack me because in Nerf, when you shoot those little Nerf darts, like you're working against gravity when you're shooting up. But when you're up, man, you can bombard people from all of, gravity is in your favor and you can bomb them. But once you get spotted and you're up a tree, it's not easy to get out of a tree fast. I mean, not the healthy way, right? So once you're spotted, you're vulnerable. And this is exactly where Zacchaeus finds himself. He's up in a tree and Jesus is walking along. Jesus is intending to pass through the town in his journeys. But what happens? He spots Zacchaeus in a vulnerable position up in the tree. What happens when you're up in a tree? Well, when you get spotted and you have the high ground, you think you're elevated, you think you're puffed up, but a lot of times you get deflated. It's not easy to get down out of the tree. And all of a sudden, this man who had puffed himself up with his wealth and had climbed a tree because he was short, all of a sudden becomes a center of attention. And God begins to use that to deflate him. Do you understand something about our lives? That one of the things that God does when he calls people to himself is he simply calls you and me to see ourselves for who we really are. And then Jesus says, and I'm the answer to that. But what he first does, what God first does in your life and my life is he shows us, us. He doesn't stand there and say, worship me because I'm God. Let me just prove it all to you all. Well, I think we would reject him. I think he knows the way to get to the heart of people is, I want you to know that I see you for who you really are. And you have a need for me. And in that moment, we begin to say, I see myself. I'm deflated. But it's there that being deflated, I can be raised up by you. I can be lifted up by you, God. And that's where Zacchaeus finds himself. There was a young pitcher who had made it into the minor leagues, but one of the pitches he didn't have in his arsenal was a curveball. And when he got to the major league, the pitching coaches started saying, man, we got to start working on your curveball. And he's like, listen, I have made it here on my fastball. I've made it here on my slider. I've made it here on my breaking ball. I made it on all these things except for the curve. I don't need it. So the pitching coaches backed off and they let him get rocked in about three or four games because he hadn't faced the kind of hitters in his previous career that he is facing now in the minors. And he got rocked and finally he was deflated after a couple games. He came to the pitching coaches and says, okay, I'm willing, let's start working on the curveball." And after working on the curveball for a couple years, it was actually his curveball that was his ticket into the majors. They didn't care as much about his other pitches. They weren't his strength. What had become his strength was the curveball. But we have to get deflated sometimes in order for us to get lifted up or filled up. I want you to write this down. Look for believers or look for people outside the church to intentionally interact with believers. 
You're going to look for people outside. That's what Jesus is doing. He's down in the town. All these religious people and the crowd is following him and people who don't know Jesus yet or people who are unright, so they're following him. But Jesus sees one who's rejected community. He sees one who's way outside the community. In fact, he's probably more comfortable in the tree than in the crowd because somebody in the crowd is probably going to want to have an issue with him. And when Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I must stay at your house today. In that moment, the people didn't like it. In fact, verse seven says this, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest at the house of a sinner. Now, mutter is an onomatopoeia. It means what it sounds like. And so I want you to say mutter three times very fast out loud. Ready, say it. Yep, that's what it sounds like. So the crowd, all of a sudden, right then, what happened? Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. And guess what happened in the crowd? Mutter, 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 All over the place. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. This guy who is intentionally bilking us, this guy who has intentionally rejected the people of Israel, he's going to be a guest at his house. Listen, at this moment, I think if you were a disciple and you heard Jesus said that, you were like, whoa, I thought we were just passing through the town. Like, this is going to change our plans down the road. Like, they turn to the people, I'm so sorry. I thought we were continuing through the town. And I guess we're going over to Zacchaeus' house. And they're kind of being apologetic. Like, I know, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. But we just do what he says. And so we just go along with it. Probably all except Matthew, a guy named Levi, who should have been a priest, but he was a tax gatherer. And Jesus had called him to follow him. And Matthew was like, I get it. I know what Jesus is doing here. Let's watch and see. Listen to me, if you want to cry tears of joy, invite unlikely people. Invite unlikely people into community, into the gathering. Let me tell you, when we go to India and we're outside the country and we're seeing these little kids, the untouchables, the rejected, the people that, that no one wants to touch, and we're inviting them into community where they get to get fed and they get clothed and they learn about hygiene and they, they get on their knees and they're praying to God and they sing out loud to God and they have the chance to hear about Jesus and be a part of something and they're called into community and they love Jesus, but at the door there are kids who want want to be a part of the project, they can't get in. They're very intrigued about Jesus. They're very intrigued about it, but there's no sponsor for them. Listen, if you and I come along and we sponsor a kid who's in India, and then maybe someday you go or you just, you don't go, you just see what God's doing over there. Let me tell you, you will be the happiest person on the face of the planet than if you buy yourself a gift. You will be more happy than anything else. You don't think you'll be the happiest person on the face of the planet to be like, that God would let me use my little and it would make such a huge impact on this person who's outside and they're able to now come in and to fellowship with Jesus. You want to cry tears of joy? Learn to give away from yourself. Invite unlikely people, but God wants us to do that here. Not just across the world, but here. So who are the people around you and me who intentionally reject community? Think for a minute. Who are the people who are like, oh no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go. I wouldn't want to do that. And you're thinking instantly like the person who's like the least likely to ever want to go to church and God may be nudging you like, that's who I'm saying to invite. The guy who's climbed a tree, the guy who's the workaholic, the guy who's rejected community, whatever it is, right? Maybe it's a self-sufficient rich person. Like, oh, the church just wants my money. No, I think Jesus wants your heart, right? But again, to invite that person. What about the invisible person, the person who no one notices, Person, when they walk in a coffee shop and they get what they do and they walk out, nobody really notices that person unless you're looking. Maybe God wants you to invite them. 
Maybe it's a person you think would never, ever want to be invited to a church, and that's the person God's nudging you to ask. Maybe it's a person who had a really bad church experience, and you're like, oh, gee, I hope that, you know, if they came to Sun Grove, they wouldn't have a bad church experience. We're a super warm church, and we love people, and we want you to know, if you're brand new visiting with us today, that Jesus loves you. And we want you to know that we love you and we don't have pretenses and we just want you to be relaxed and be who you are. And we want you to know that that's what God thinks and loves you. You might think of the person who crosses your path more than once. You're like, I bumped into this person here and I bumped into them again. And and all of a sudden God's nudging you like, that's no accident. Maybe I'm bumping you into them because I want you to invite them into your circle group or here to church. For some of you, Maybe it's the bar girls. You need to start a circle group for a bunch of bar girls because you've been one, you know what it's like. And you know that you could reach those girls if they started studying the Bible. Maybe it's for some of you guys, it's the guys who hang out bars. And you need to start a circle group with those guys and say, why would I go to a Bible study? Well, because we're just gonna check it out. And they're gonna see Jesus and Jesus is gonna show them the condition of their life. And all of a sudden they're gonna fall in love with who Jesus is because they're gonna see Jesus and find out that Jesus loves them. He even likes them. Because people who are nothing like Jesus are uniquely attracted to them. And maybe for you, it's the checker at Trader Joe's or the gas station cashier or the receptionist at your doctor's appointment or the person who has crazy tattoos or it's, it's a barista that you talk to all the time. It's an aspiring model. It's a photographer. It's a school administrator. It's other parents of other kids who are in your same sports team. And God's just nudging and saying, invite them. Bring those who are rejecting community, maybe, and bring them into relationship with people who are the church. A common thread among people who've become saved is the existence of a friend who nagged them to go to church or youth group or a circle group. And chances are, if you're being honest, there's probably somebody in your life who kept inviting you. And there's somebody in your life who kept nagging you. And it reminds me of a good friend of mine named Melissa. And Melissa kept inviting her friend to church and her friend kept saying, no, absolutely not. She kept inviting her friend Karina, and Karina was like, no, I'm not going to go. And so she goes, okay, fine, fine, fine. Well, let's go to breakfast this Sunday. And she's like, okay. And so instead of taking her to breakfast, she took her to church, and Karina was ticked. And she said to Melissa, why did you, why did you lie to me? And, she, and Melissa said, well, I invited you to church. You kept saying no. I knew you'd say no. So I just thought I was going to take you to church. We'll go to breakfast after. Well, guess what? Karina came to church. She started hearing about Jesus. Jesus showed her the condition of her own heart. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Karina now works with our junior high on staff here at Sun Grove, and she is affecting future world changers who are in junior high right now. We give it up for what God does and people like that. Why? Because she had a friend who nagged her. She had a friend who wouldn't give up on her. She had a friend who they knew their friendship was intact enough, right, to be able to invite her that way. A beautiful thing. And God wants you to invite other people around you. Listen, if you want to cry tears of actual joy, invite unlikely people. Luke 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up, this is now at at lunch at his house, and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So the law, the Old Testament law said, if you've cheated somebody then you need to pay back the amount and add 20%. What does Zacchaeus do? I mean, if you're in the crowd and you got cheated by this guy, he says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, the English doesn't render it the best. What he's saying is this, sense, if and sense are determined on context, right? 
since I've cheated people, I will pay back four times the actual amount. I mean, if you were in the crowd and you got bilked by this guy a little bit, and you'd be like, oh, he's just trying to make it good with Jesus. He's going to pay me back what he says he owes me, and we'll see. We'll see if it's... When he says, I'm going to pay back four times the amount, let me ask you a question. If you're in the crowd, and you hear the chief tax collector repenting like this, don't you kind of hope that your local tax collector might do what the chief has done? How do you affect change in a town? God does it one person at a time. How do you affect change in a family? God does it one person at a time. He'll change the course of a generation starting with one person. And that's what's happening with Zacchaeus right here, right now. All of a sudden he is saying, I will give back four times the amount. What happened? He encountered Jesus and his response was natural. He naturally said, I've encountered Jesus. He's called me into relationship with him and I'm gonna repair relationship where I can with other people. See, he committed to relationship because that's what God had done for him. I mean, could you imagine how you question his faith if he was like, ah, I'll just let bygones be bygones. I'll just let the past be the past. I'm not gonna take moral responsibility for my past. I'm just gonna move from this day forward. No, what does he do? He says, I understand that I've rejected relationship and the first thing I do in coming in relationship with Jesus is I'm gonna work to repair what I can. I can't be responsible for how other people respond, but I can do what we call in CR, Celebrate Recovery, a fearless moral inventory. What does that mean? We look at our life for where it's really at and we repair what is up to us that we can. We can't be responsible for what other people do with it, but we can at least take the steps we need to. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus is doing right here. Write this down. When someone is intentionally included, and is transformed by Jesus, they instinctively give to restore where they have broken relationship or community with others. So what happens? He makes this declaration. Lord, since I've built some people out of money, I'm gonna pay back four times the amount, and Jesus has an immediate response in front of everybody, in front of the crowd who are in the house, in front of those who are on the patio, in front of those who are just on the other side of the wall, but they're still listening in to be like these open Mediterranean homes and say, what is happening here? What's Jesus doing? How's Jesus gonna to respond to this guy? Jesus makes this announcement. Jesus said to him, verse nine, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a, drum roll please, New title, new identity. This man, Zacchaeus, who rejected community, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus speaking of himself, I came to seek and save the lost. And what does Jesus do? This guy, Zacchaeus, he had a lot of titles. His titles were muttered, his titles were cursed, his name was used in vain, I guarantee you. But Jesus says, because of salvation, this man has a new identity. He is just as much a son of Abraham as you Jewish people who think you're righteous. And what's the mission of Jesus? I came to seek and save the lost. What's the New Testament mission of Jesus' followers? To lead others to become fully devoted Christ followers, to seek and save the least likely people and invite them into community. And Jesus is just modeling it. Jesus is modeling it for you and for me. I mean, amazing just what happens there. He's not a sinner. He's not a tax gatherer. 
He's a son of Abraham. He is now a friend of God. And I think that Jesus would, if he walked in here today and he looked around here and he looked at those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, I think he would look at us and say today, listen, I love you and you are so often my focus, but you need to understand at this moment, you're not my primary focus. That my primary focus is to reach those who were saved, who are unsaved, to reach those who are lost. That's why I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, I believe that what we do here as a church is very honoring to God. But if you're here today and you're far away from God, what I want you to understand is I think his attention is primarily on you today. And if you're not a Christian and you're just trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is and you're just checking out church and you're coming back after some experiences in your life and you're just looking at your life, I want you to know that I believe today Jesus, his attention is uniquely focused on you. And he loves you. And he wants to invite you into community. I believe if you walk through those doors here today, he would look around and he would be, say, as I'm looking around, I'm intentionally looking for those people. And what the beautiful thing is, you and I used to be those people. That at some point in our life, we saw the condition of our life and we said, Jesus, you're the answer to the condition in my life. And so I'm going to give my life to you. And Jesus would look around and he would go, he would say, I'm looking for those people who are lost. And he'd look and he'd look and he'd see you. And then he would look around and go, they're all here, my people and those who soon will be my people. I believe Jesus would be delighted by what he sees in here today. I mean, if you wanna cry tears of joy, just invite unlikely people. How? Let me tell you, every sports or holiday party is an opportunity. When you walk into an event because you have God's Holy Spirit in you, you make that event better just because you showed up. And you have the opportunity to leverage those kind of gatherings to invite people into relationship with Jesus. You might take steps to financial peace, Financial Peace University, and say, I'm going to get rid of some debt in my life, but I'm also going to invite some other people that I've had a financial conversation with. Why don't I invite them in? And they'll learn actually biblical principles through Dave Ramsey to learn how to reduce debt. And that offers them the opportunity to get to know some other believers and have some community. It might be asking self-inflated people too full of themselves into your circle group and inviting them into community. You might go to a doctor appointment with somebody that you know and just use the time in the waiting room to have a conversation that you've been putting off for a while and just invite them. It might be that you're just showing them the love of Christ that way. Throw a party for someone who needs a party. You might be like, I wouldn't normally be the person to throw a person, uh, that person at a party, but they need a party and I'm actually a good party thrower. And so I'm gonna throw a party for that person. Why? Because I wanna show the love of Jesus. I wanna call them down out of the tree. I wanna throw, provide for them a party. And all of a sudden they respond because show, someone showed them love. You might reach to immigrants or undocumented neighbors. You might use meetups that you would use photography or other type meetups and you build relationships with people and then you'd invite them into your circle group or into community, you build relationships. I mean, some of you in this room, you knit and you crochet and you cut fabric and stuff and I don't understand any of that. And, and I have to think that when you go to Joanne and you go to Michael's that there's other people who go to Joanne and Michael's and you run into them all the time and you all knit and you all crochet and you all make things and I don't get it, but you all know each other and maybe Maybe God wants you to use that to invite some unlikely people into a circle group or into an opportunity to come to church. Listen, who is here today who could not be? 
Who is here today who actually, with an invitation, might come? Imagine what things would be like if in just a year from now you said, okay, God, I'm going to start inviting unlikely people. And imagine what would happen a year from now if you, all of us could look back and say, and write this down, I played some part in someone crossing the line of faith. I mean, how cool would it be? You think you want to cry tears of joy? You're going to cry tears of joy when you find a person who is outside a community, you draw them into community, they accept Christ, and you will go, I played some part, not the main part, that's God's part. It's what his Holy Spirit was doing. But I stepped into the mission of God to seek and save the lost, and I played at least some part, and look at now this person accepted Christ. Look at now this person has gotten baptized. You will say, wow, I was part of someone crossing from death into life, someone who was lost becoming found. And listen, maybe you're here today because someone coerced you. Maybe they tricked you. Maybe they are here today because you've invited somebody else. And maybe you're here today because someone invested and at least gave you the opportunity to meet Jesus and find out that he liked you and that you could love him and that you could be accepted by him even though your life is nothing like his. Some of you are here today, you're like, I, I don't know if I buy all this. I don't know if I know who Jesus is yet, but I'll be back. I like the people, and I'm beginning to get a clear picture of who Jesus is and that he might actually be an answer to the condition of my life. And we're so grateful for you. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just want you to think about your own life for a moment. And if today you're realizing that's me, I've never realized that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for my life and that I want salvation to come to my house. I want salvation to come to my life. The way that you do that is you end a relationship with Jesus, but he's a gentleman. He invites you to come in. And so if that's you today and you want your sins washed away, you wanna be forgiven, you want Jesus to do that for you, then you introduce yourself to him through prayer. And praying a prayer is just something you do silently, even in your heart, God hears you. But I would encourage you to pray something like this, to say, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to wash me of my sin. Forgive me. Make me as white as snow. Make me a new creation on the inside. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I don't understand how that all works, but I believe you died for it and I believe you rose from the grave because you're God. And so today, Jesus, I just simply give myself to you. And right now, if you prayed that prayer anywhere in this room, will you raise your hand? Anywhere around the room, right there, awesome, all the way in the back. Just hold your hand up, we'll see you. Over here on the side, greatest decision you could ever make. It took, I see a couple of you there, that's awesome. It took a person standing on a stage for me to understand it, to see who Jesus was and to get it. And God does that for you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.